Hello, and welcome to The Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's blockbuster movies, star-studded films, and most hyped popcorn flicks. We all have embarrassing blind spots in our movie-watching repertoire, so using the IMDb Top 250 movie list as our guide, we'll be finding the movies that we've always been meaning to get to and give a quick review of our first impressions. We're your host, Clacia, Malika, and Will, and today we'll be discussing the mobster classic, Goodfellas, which is currently 17 on IMDb's Top 250 movie list. Go get your fucking shine box. All right, so according to IMDb, here is the plot summary of Goodfellas. The story of Henry Hill and his life in the mob, covering his relationship with his wife, Karen Hill, his mob partners, Jimmy Conway and Tommy DeVito, in the Italian-American crime syndicate. So guys, first impressions... This was my first time watching Goodfellas, and I gotta say, could be the best of the mob movie genre, but also still not good enough to be number 17? Controversial? Malika, this was your first time seeing it too, right? Yeah, it was, and I think there's a reason that I hadn't seen it. I'm not really into mob movies. I haven't seen some of the big classics like Godfather 1, 2, and... There's a third one, right? I think See, that's We don't talk shows. about the third one. <laughs> but that just shows you, right? Um, I thought there were some really golden moments, and I can see where it sort of began this genre. But overall, again, it's not my type of movie. I didn't seek it out. Unlike the other two movies that we reviewed, Die Hard and Shawshank, those are movies that I like always didn't mean to watch. This just didn't make my list. Yeah, this, for me, wasn't quite like how Clacia described her experience with die hard of she didn't watch it for the first time she just became a part of yeah. it <laughs> i i watched it like a little bit later probably in my teens and i've only seen it a couple times and i agree i like it a lot i like scorsese a lot but something about it i know this is probably blasphemous for most like scorsese fans but i like the departed more i just think it's like a better story and more compelling and you're way more invested in the dynamic between like Leo and Matt Damon and like the good cop on the bad side yeah. and the bad guy and the cop side. And I don't know, that whole dynamic is more compelling to me than just like the general kind of mob story. But it's obviously a classic, like obviously. Right. I agree with you on the, the Departed. What I really liked about The Departed is though, you kind of were rooting for different characters and like found them sympathetic. I didn't find anybody sympathetic in this movie like even characters that I liked in the beginning I really liked Jimmy I thought he was so like charming and funny I mean it's Robert De Niro and Karen the wife I thought she was great she had a great beginning but by the end of it they were all terrible people and I know it's a mobster movie but there was nobody you know even worth wanting to win in the end and you can be an anti-hero and have people cheering for you right like it just it didn't capture me in the way I wanted it to Malika, I agree a thousand percent. I think you summarize it perfectly. Nobody was likable in the end. I didn't really care what happened. Like, I didn't care the, that Henry was selling out Jimmy and Polly. I was like, who cares? You all suck. Like, and it sucks because I liked them up to a point throughout the movie and then it started to bog down and it kind of felt like this movie could have been shorter. So I watched this with Aaron, our producer slash my boyfriend, and he hadn't seen it either. And we were talking about it afterwards and I was like, yeah, I feel like the movie was too long. But then we were saying like, I don't know what scenes really you could have cut. It just, it felt like it needed another draft and everything. And I loved the first hour and 45. And then the last like 45, 50, I was like, enough of this already. Oy vey, like enough. <laughs> yeah, it was a long movie. <laughs> like what, two and a half hours? Yeah. That's for me kind of a Scorseseism is 
he adds like 30 extra minutes to every (laughs) movie. That's part of why I like The Departed because like it is a longer movie, but like the story goes up until the end. Like it doesn't feel like what is even happening at this point. The whole part at the end of Goodfellas, it's the 80s and Henry... He's dealing coke and he's doing coke and the helicopter's following him. That section of the movie would win the J.B. Smoove Award. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it felt like a different movie tacked on. Yeah, it was like, whoa, we started in the 50s and then all of a sudden it's like the big hair perms and like it's coke right. fiends. Yeah. And, yeah. You know what it kind of felt like? It almost felt like a Guy Ritchie-esque thing of like, oh, I got to make the sauce. Oh, I'm going to go to the place. I'm going to meet the guy. Oh, there's the <laughs> sauce. Oh, and it's going to burn. And then it's going to do this. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? And you can almost see it like a few early drafts of a technique that Scorsese would come back to in like Wolf of Wall Street. So I feel like that movie is a better summation of all the different techniques he likes to employ because boy, does that man love to use that camera. <laughs> He's just like tracking shot, music drop. Then we're going to do this. And then the camera's going to shake here. It's just like, I get it. You're a great filmmaker, but sometimes less (laughs) is more. Just going to put that out there. And I feel like you can definitely see how over time he's learned the best times to use certain things and when not to use certain things and to abstain and to make a tighter movie for it. Because I agree. I feel like The Departed, way better movie overall. Um, Even Wolf of Wall Street, which I waited a really long time to see just because it kind of felt like similar anti-hero like movie about bad people. I'm like, do we need to give these people more attention? But I actually really enjoy that movie in a way I didn't enjoy parts of this movie. That's because Wolf of Wall Street gave you that straight man to like Mm -hmm. attach onto and be like, okay, I hope this guy gets his due with the FBI agent who's tracking Jordan Belfort. There's no counter story in Goodfellas. Yeah, even the FBI agents are jerks, right? Like, there's literally not a character that I wanted to win at the end. Like, my favorite part was when the detectives, when they finally bust him for dealing coke, and the detectives were just straight up tasting it, like, yep, that's coke, all right. Oh, let me get a little extra (laughs) just for fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talk about this a lot, but when a movie is based on a real story, you can take it one of two ways, right? You can be super, super authentic or you can take some liberties. I mean, obviously there's some gray area between that. And I think this movie may have suffered a little bit from trying to keep too close to the story because I'm sure like that whole Coke section of the movie came from the book and came from real life. But I honestly wish like some of it was cut out or like was just like script on a screen later that I could just like, oh, this is what happened to him. It just wasn't a compelling ending. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they jumped forward or I guess back in timeline, <laughs> but like instead of an 83, if that happened in like the mid seventies and it was like closer to the events of the rest of this story, it might've felt more natural and more because you know, there's this scene early on where Polly is like talking to Henry and he's saying, hey, you got to slow down. You can't be doing the business and also be doing the drugs. Don't get high on your own supply, all that stuff. And you see why he says that and how it ties in later when he is going off the rails. But it almost feels like too far divorced from when that initial warning came from Polly to like, feel the weight of like Polly's advice to him. Yeah. It felt like this is foreshadowing. Like there was just so much. I feel like that maybe just could have been rearranged. I like your idea Malika about just having it cut later because I kind of felt the same way. I feel like you could have easily ended the movie when they were all just getting busted and like the shit was hitting the fan with the Coke deal and the Lufthansa heist, like getting found out. I feel like you could have ended it with, 
okay, everyone's really on edge. Tommy gets whacked because he killed a made yeah. man. They finally find out about it. Like, I feel like if you just had a few scenes of like Henry kind of going off the rails, Tommy getting his comeuppance, Jimmy also kind of going off the rails, and then it just like cuts to like what happened to them later yeah. and just have like a little bit of like, this is how it played out. You could have probably cut the last like 30 minutes yeah, of the like movie. A, a nice ending montage would have been totally sufficient. I think you need to have the scene where Tommy gets whacked because he's such an annoying character and like played so brilliantly by Joe Pesci. Like I was love like, Joe Pesci cheering when he died, which is not, you know, ah, that's not true. I've, I've done that before. <laughs> I'm not an Wait, angel. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> What are we talking about? <laughs> Being excited when a character is killed is what we're talking about. Oh, okay. Shout out Joffrey Baratheon. <laughs> oh, oh, we were yeah. all happy <laughs> but, as hell. But to this movie's credit, like, obviously, there's so much we like about this movie. We kind of talked. Yeah. We've been ragging on it a little bit. As we do. As we do. <laughs> but especially after recently watching The Irishman and then coming back to this and watching it again, it's like, thank God this is what... Like, you could see Scorsese was trying to, like, recreate the magic of the Irishman. I'm mean, Not of the Irishman, of Goodfellas in the Irishman. But it had none of the, like, charm, charisma, great back-and-forth gangster dialogue between the guys. They were all just, like, old men and way slower. And that movie was three hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> like That's so long. It was like he was trying to do Goodfellas again, but it just ended up in... The Irishman, which I did not like, but... <laughs> well, in that vein of picking out things we did like about Scorsese films, let's kind of get into some of our favorite scenes, because I did like a lot of this movie. Like I said, probably up until like hour two, I was really into it. Um, and I think what is upsetting about this is this involves one of my favorite characters who then becomes one of my least favorite characters, Karen, by the end of the movie. But I think my favorite scene is when Henry gets forced to go on the blind date because Joe Pesci's like, hey, I got to date this girl. She's Jewish, but she won't go alone. So they go on the blind date. It's awful. They, they're supposed to go on a second date. Henry just blows it off. And Karen is like, this motherfucker. And she makes Tommy. First of all, can you imagine anyone making Tommy do anything and how crazy Joe Pesci played that character? And she made him drive her yeah. to Henry's neighborhood to go tell him off in front of all of his mob friends. I freaking love that scene. I just like, I love just like a loud, brash character. I love that she knew what she wanted. I like the fact you can see in Lorraine Brocker's face that like, she's kind of getting turned on the more that he's like kind of playing into it. He's getting turned on because she's yelling at him. I thought they had really <laughs> great chemistry to start the film. Yeah. And like that relationship was like what I was kind of clinging to. So the deterioration of their relationship like made me really sad because I was like, man, I love the fact that they were like in love and she'd be like, hey, Henry, let me get some money. And he'd like give her a stack of money and then she'd go to on him and be like oh <laughs> yeah. hey now hey now yeah yeah totally Ooh, agree <laughs> this is rated r yeah, i love that scene and to jump on what you said clay i think this is a good example of ignorance is bliss because she had no idea that he was a mobster so she just was pissed off and she was going to tell him how she feels and i love that like pure sass and i love that scene because it's probably the last time in the movie that Karen is super likable because after that, she kind of starts her downward trajectory of being just another mob wife. Mm -hmm. I would say I think she was still likable up to a point like when they got married and she was kind of observing the relationships between the all the other mob wives. And you could tell she felt like an outsider and looking in. 
which I really enjoyed. And I thought they could have gone more with that. But if she just, yeah, she just sort of fell into all the same traps eventually. And that was super disappointing. Like, I know this was 1990 and this is not a movie about Karen and it's not inherently any sort of feminist message, but it would have been nice to have one female character, like actually like own the situation that she's in and not just become what she became because of her relationship with a man. But also through Karen, you see the temptation of the mob life. Like you were saying at the wedding when everyone's just walking up and handing them wads of cash for their wedding present. And in her narration in that scene, she talks about how it felt wrong, but it also felt so good Mm -hmm. to just have all these people giving them wads of cash. Did you feel like the narration switching to her point of view was even necessary? Like, I know you, it's not her story, but having her narrate parts of it made it feel like, yes, it's her story too. But then her character wasn't fully fleshed out and she didn't really get her due. So I didn't love that choice. That's Scorsese, though. You know, he's got mm. a, everything is narrated. He's uh, there's always a no, narr- not the narration. I have no problem with the narration, but switching from Ray Liotta's character Henry to Karen back and forth, that choice, that specific choice, I don't really understand. Yeah, I agree because it does sort of elevate Karen in the viewer's mind, at least at that point. You're like, oh, they're married now and she's getting more of the screen time through the narration. But yeah, she doesn't actually become like a fully realized character. So it's a little disappointing because it almost feels like Karen's going to have a way bigger part to play. And then, I mean, she does. She obviously influences Henry and his actions, but it really is just about him. So I felt like super disappointed there. Well, I think that if they had removed that, she would have been more sympathetic. You know, if you just see her pain and her like on the floor when she has the gun to him and then he overtakes her, like that is a devastating scene. We can feel it. You don't need to have a voiceover tell us what's going on. I would agree with that. It's almost like they used her narration. We were just talking about how in Goodfellas, there isn't that straight man character to provide early on that like straight Mm -hmm. man side of the story but as the story gets closer to the conclusion she's no longer that reliable narrator or that reliable straight man it's kind of like you see how she gets more and more ingrained into the life of the mob which i think it kind of works in that regard but i agree it's always a weird choice when you have more than one narrator they didn't need to do that because as soon as he hands her the gun is when she's like committed. That's that's when they get married. Like she's part of that mob world now. And we already saw Henry go through that in his youth. So they're like showing this again of how it feels to like how seductive this mob world is. But they didn't need to. It felt repetitive. True. Like what was the additional value that we got from hearing her voiceover and seeing her side of it? And I'm not saying that we should cut her out. I feel like they should have given her more. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So, well, Malika, what were some of your guys' favorite scenes in this movie? What things stood out to you? Uh, my favorite scene is the scene between Tommy and Billy Bates when, you know, he beats him up and kills him at the end of the party after he says, get your shine box. And I love it because, one, the dialogue, the back and forth between them is like classic Scorsese, like these guys busting balls, but it's more serious than that. It's like the old mob mentality. These guys know each other and they're talking about their past life. But really what made it so great for me is that scene is really like the fulcrum of the movie. Mm -hmm. And you don't really recognize it at that time, the first time watching it, because, you know, they mentioned that Billy is a made man 
but they don't really explain what that means at that point. And they start the movie with when they're going to hide Billy's body and why that was such an important event. And then they come back to it in the middle. And then at the end, when Tommy gets whacked himself, they explain he killed a made man. Made men are completely untouchable. So it was the long con by the Italian mob that, you know, they were stringing him along thinking that he was really part of their society and he was finally going to be accepted. And then it comes back around and said, no, you broke our cardinal rule. That's the end for you. It doesn't matter how long ago it was. doesn't matter what happened. And so just everything combined with the weight of the scene to the overall impact of the story and just the back and forth between Tommy and Billy is so good. Like, ah, as soon as the movie ended, it just reminded me, dang, this is really like what was the like inception of the most important parts of the story. And I agree with you, B, that's a really important scene. And what I liked about it is that it starts this your mind thinking about the relationship between Jimmy and Tommy, which seems like more on the surface, these three guys, but like at the drop of a hat, Jimmy's willing to beat this guy up. You know, he sees Tommy arrive. Okay, it's go time. We're going to shoot this guy. We're going to kick him to death. We're going to stab him. Like, whatever Tommy needs, I got it, which wasn't originally their relationship. Tommy was a younger guy. He was looking up to Jimmy. So, like, it was super interesting to see that dynamic. And then that continues towards the end of the movie, right before Tommy gets whacked, where Jimmy's, like, all of his hopes are pinned on Tommy because once Tommy is made, he has some sort of protection. I would love to talk a little bit about that scene where Jimmy finds out that Tommy has been killed. And do you think he cries because he lost his friend or because he's lost this potential, I don't want to say protection, but potential influence that would have come with hanging out with a made man? What do you guys think? It's hmm. a great question. Because I really couldn't tell. And that's what's so great about Robert De Niro's portrayal. It's like, he's a complicated guy. Seriously. Someone put that on his headstone when he passes. <laughs> Robert De Niro, yeah. complicated guy. Great actor. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. It's got to be a little bit of both, right? That's the only answer. There's definitely probably more about their relationship because like you said, in the scene where they murder... Billy, it's not even a whack. It's more like they just brutally murder him in a fight. Like, yeah. in that scene, you see that Jimmy is like, I've got your back, Tommy. Like, no matter what, I've got your back. I'm going to help you out, whatever situation you get in. And so at that point, their relationship is definitely that bond. But like you were saying, at the point of the movie, when Tommy does get whacked, it definitely has more weight to the fact that he's losing his protection from the mob. Yeah. Because considering he's just killed a bunch of people. Yeah. I feel like it's definitely that downward spiral too of like all these characters kind of losing touch with every part of the society and the code they thought they knew. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I didn't realize this. The idea that only the full-blooded Italians could become made men was kind of an interesting one because the whole thing was that Henry was half Irish, so was uh, Jimmy. So they would never have the potential. So like, no matter what they did, no matter how good they were, no matter how tight they could be with anyone else in the mafia, they can never truly be a full member. So Tommy did represent, I think, that little bit of hope for them because they were so close, right? They were a trio. 
And I think it was a combination of the grief of losing a friend, as well as like the realization that you're not really ever going to have what you thought you could get. So I actually think it's 100% or at least 90, 80 to 90% the protection and being official only because look how quickly he turned on his crew after, was it the Lufthansa Lufthansa heist? heist, Lufthansa heist. So he had these guys, he, his most trusted people he brought in and then one after one after one, he killed them all without feeling any remorse. And the only people he kept were Henry and Tommy alive. And Tommy, as we said, was the closest thing he'd ever get to being made. So I think that he recognized Tommy early on, even as a young kid, as someone who could be the closest he'd ever get and someone that he could just like stick with. Again, all just guessing. We'll never know, but um, that's just the the vibe I got. I just don't feel like Jimmy was loyal for loyalty's sake. And if he was, I never saw proof. He was willing to kill even Henry's wife at the end. So I didn't see any proof that he's a loyal guy and that was of value to him. That's a good point. Someone at Martin Scorsese on Twitter and find <laughs> yes. find out. We'll settle the debate right now. He's he's on social media, right? <laughs> yeah. Sure. We'll just ask Bobby D himself. What was your motivation? <laughs> One other thing about what you mentioned where only a full-blood Italian can be made. It actually made me appreciate in the movie The Irishman. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but... No, we haven't. So, nope. in The Irishman, De Niro plays a full Irish person. And he actually gets made by the Italian mob. So, it's like such a huge exception to the rule and honor that they made this man who is no part Italian Mm. and that, but see, that's, Oh, sorry. This is a separate rant, but the Irishman (laughs) rein it in. Sorry. The Irishman, you need like so much more pretext and like preexisting knowledge of this mob type of world to understand every part of it. And you need to know so much more about like the teamsters and Jimmy Hoffa. So my favorite scene is when Henry and Jimmy get locked up for the first time. Jimmy is sent down to a prison in Atlanta. They don't really explain that. But Henry is in prison with Polly and a couple other guys. And they have pasta dinners and they have fresh bread. And and you see Polly slicing the garlic super thin with the razor blade. I just loved that scene. And, you know, there was a part right before it was kind of dragging and I like perked up because I was like, oh my gosh, I wish this was the whole movie. I would love to see a movie about this world because they were there for a year. Like what that looked like, smuggling in the right salami and like being able to have that space and to live in your life, even being in prison. I thought that was fantastic. And I'm sad that it hasn't been made into its own movie yet. And just like a sidecar on that scene, when Karen shows up with the kids and she starts taking like the salamis out of her coat and throwing them on the table. I love that too. And he's like, you can't be doing that here. Like as if it's not incredibly obvious what they're already doing. Yeah. They literally paid off all of the guards. Like the guards know, <laughs> like he yeah. brings you to the front of the line to go see Henry and they know you're smuggling things into a coat. Like, come on. We all know the deal. <laughs> yeah. So, Clay, do you have a favorite quote from this movie? Oh, Malika, I'm glad you asked because I do have a favorite quote. 
I mean, obviously, this movie is very quotable. I mean, classic Scorsese film, especially this type of movie. He loves the punchy dialogue. But I think what makes this movie so good and I guess so long lasting is the dialogue and just how it's seeped into pop culture through gifs and memes. And it'd be really easy to pick like one of the scenes that gets like memed a lot. But I think one of my favorites is actually a little bit more serious of a scene. It's towards the end when Henry is busted by the cops. He's been followed by the helicopter. They finally catch him for selling coke. And he kind of has like almost this outer body experience with the narration. And he basically says that like, for a second, I thought I was dead, but then I heard the noise and I knew it could only be cops because if this was a wise guy, I wouldn't have heard a thing. I would have been dead. I like seeing the difference in how the mobsters conducted themselves versus the cops. I thought that was a really nice, succinct way to sort of address that dichotomy because we didn't really see a ton of the police. Like every instance of the police that you'd seen up to that point were in the earlier scenes where they were just paid off by all the mob guys. So they're just sort of like kind of stereotype of like, oh, like, oh, oh, money under the table. Like I'm gonna go get a donut. Like they were just a non-entity, which I thought was super interesting. So seeing the progression of how much the cops were sort of invading into their business from the 50s to the 80s was kind of cool. What about you guys? Do you have a favorite quote or something that stands out that you'd love to repeat at parties? <laughs> Not yet. Uh, or maybe I've said this a lot of times. My favorite quote is two words. It is when Joe Pesci gets whacked and he realizes like this is it. And he just goes, oh no. <laughs> it's such a like sweet and humanizing moment for such a monster that I really enjoyed it. That's a great one. What about you, Will? I love when Billy just says, go get your shine box. You know, it's a classic I mentioned how it's the fulcrum and you understand the scene so much more when the movie is over, but you see Billy in his like invincibility. He knows that Tommy is a total psycho and will do anything and is completely off the rails, but he's still willing to throw around these insults at him and like embarrass him in front of his friends because he knows he's a made man and it eventually gets him got. But And then the other one is... Shout out Samuel L. Jackson for a small little part in this movie. Love you, Sam. But uh, when Tommy says, yeah, you were always fucking late. You were late for your own fucking funeral and then shoots him. It's kind of like the classic, but it's just so good when he comes in and you know Tommy's a psycho and you know that this inconsequential character for most of the movie and then they're spending a scene on him. You're like, this isn't going to end well for Sam. He's like a red shirt in Star Trek. It's like, yeah. there's no good end to this. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like it was stuffed with so many different film techniques, right? It starts off with a flashback and then you have this moment where Stax is killed, but you're not sure why. And then there's like a flashback to him being shot. And you're like, okay, that's a different technique. It's a different type of flashback. And then you have the two different voiceovers and then you have like the four years later, but then you have like the timestamp time. It's like, I just felt like he was trying out too many things. And maybe because I'm watching this for the first time in 2020 and not 1990 that I'm, I have higher expectations for filmmaking or I don't know, maybe I'm just not as versed in Scorsese, but it just felt very like disjointed to me. No, I agree. I had higher expectations based off of Scorsese. Like I felt like compared to his later output, which you would expect, hopefully, that a director gets more refined over time. I feel like you can see him working through a lot of ideas and a lot of them did not work in this movie. Like you said, what was the justification for having timestamps on some of the flash forwards and jump forwards and not others? Because there were points in the movie where like, wait, what year is this now? How old is he supposed to be? And then maybe someone would have like an offhand line of like, oh, I'm 21. And I'm like, really? I don't, right. Not it's look super 21. inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, but also that's Scorsese, baby. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's what he does. He's that's just gonna style. flex everything he's got all over the screen on all these different types of filmmaking styles, and then he's gonna throw in some Rolling Stones, and that's Scorsese experience and music drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. So let's kind of wrap up with our final thoughts. I guess I'll start. I feel like, like I said, I thought this was a really great mob movie. But as a movie, I felt it was lacking in a lot of the ways we've already touched on. And just thinking about its place on the top 250, I definitely feel like it's a little high. I feel like it's a lot of bros who are like, oh, man, it's Scorsese, uh," like rating it super high. I think it's like an 8.6 right now. And I don't know if I'd ever want to rewatch this movie front to finish, but I can definitely see myself like if it's on rewatching a scene that I thought was interesting and then immediately like doing something else. What about you guys? Yeah, I think... It's a classic. I do agree that it's probably held in such esteem, partially because of the broiness of it, but also it's kind of like the first of its kind that I feel The Godfather is definitely a mob movie, of course, but it's kind of held at a little bit higher of a esteem. It's the mob movie, not kind of. Right. Like when people think mob movies, they think Godfather before anything else. Right. I would argue. And then... Goodfellas was kind of the first to bring it down to kind of more of the pop movie almost mm. feel. Yeah, very gritty. Yeah. And I do agree. It's not my favorite Scorsese. I like The Departed more, but that's also in the top 250. So it's definitely in that upper half, especially when you have to consider it is this. The list is this, you know, amalgamation of critical acclaim and pop culture relevance and like it's voted on by users. So obviously the ones that people just like more are going to be higher up. So I get it. It's definitely upper half top 250, probably top 50, but I don't know. 17 is pretty high. The Departed is 44, just That's in case you were wondering. Low. Like I would have switched those. I also yes. am a big fan of The Departed. I think we all are agreed there. <laughs> Okay, I've been holding my tongue for our, most of our episode, but it's time, you guys. I told you the truth. I could not stand Ray Liotta in this movie. I thought every time he laughed, I was cringing. He had this fake like mouth open, like, ha, 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 ha. Like, I wish you could see me trying to do Ray Liotta. Uh, it would probably be better than Ray Liotta doing Ray Liotta. It was that bad. I just couldn't stand it. Also, he was way too old to be playing a 21-year-old. He also had zero charm. I think that was part of the reason I just couldn't give this movie as high a rating as I wanted it to. Like, I just didn't care about him. I thought Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro knocked it out of the park. Even as, like, not great guys, they had more charm in their little finger than Ray Liotta had in this movie. Like, I just, ugh, it was just bad. I wonder if I would have had a completely different opinion on this movie if there was a different lead. I don't know if you guys agree, but, ugh, no Ray Liotta in this movie. In this movie. Watching it again, you see why Scorsese uses Leo in his newer stuff because Ray Liotta is kind of like the Leonardo DiCaprio prototype first draft of Leo is Ray <laughs> Liotta. It's like this kind of like slick back hair, good looking guy, got some charm. Like you could see kind of the charisma a little bit, but then when he finds Leo, it's like, this is who I wanted Ray Liotta yeah. to be is Leo. 
I mean, Leo's actually a good actor. And I mean, wow. Ray's been in some other things. Like, this is not saying that Ray Liotta cannot be good in anything else. But Leo is so charming and actually has a little bit more acting chops, I would argue, than Ray does in this movie. It feels like he's overacting in every scene. It felt so forced to me. And um, it kind of ruined it i feels dramatic to say but he kind of ruined the movie for me that's what i mean of he's the leo prototype first draft (laughs) early draft that's meaner than what i said i think (laughs) maybe not if there's no other takeaways from this episode it is that ray liotta is leonardo DiCaprio, but with less talent (laughs) in ray liotta's like known for section of imdb it's goodfellas then a 2002 movie called narc which i've never seen and a 1986 movie called Something Wild that I've never seen. I've, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Something Wild. That sounds familiar. And then uh-huh. the last one is Grand Theft Auto Vice City, a video game. So not uh. a great like catalog of known for for Ray Liotta. And he was in that show with Jennifer Lopez that might have only gotten one season recently. And it's like he's still just writing his Goodfellas like, credit to this day so i think that's fair to say about ray liotta versus leo he just doesn't have any of the same chops so i think it's safe to say this movie was a little bit more of a lukewarm reception than the other two movies we've done so far for tackling the 250 but that's kind of the fun right like we're not always going to love all these movies and it's great to have maybe a little bit of a contrary opinion and have a difference of opinion to what most imdb users consider the top 250 movies of all time agreed Mm -hmm. All right, so that'll do for this episode of Tackling the 250. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CynicalPod. And you can follow our sound producer, Aaron, at ak.audio on Instagram. Until next time, and thanks for listening. Bye. See ya. Deuces. Get your fucking shine box. Hey.